Hang on, Mr. Douglas. Yeah. And we're back to hanging with Mr. Douglas. Okay, yes. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, guy. You're welcome. I threw that one in for free. Okay. Nobody asked, but that's, I appreciate it. It's good to have you. Well, it's good to be here. Nice. All right. Everybody's on a positive wavelength. I think what you're doing is good. Stella, tip of the top even. Get the word out. We need it. Okay. And it is Guy, right? I'm not just saying that no, to- No, no, you're right. It's Guy. Okay, Guy. Well, thanks. Let's all enjoy this session of hanging with Mr. Douglas. <laughs> oh, yeah, all right. Okay, all right. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be in the green room. You guys, you guys have root beer? Hey, hey, well, like, so, I, it, so, we're back, see? I got Guy on my ass, he's making things happen. Yes, thank you, Guy. Okay. They have root beer. We have root beer. So, we are back, and to pick up right where we left off, moving from page 142 to 143, let's kick it with a quote. Quote, another point universally agreed upon is that the auras are exquisitely beautiful. We live in a world where the experience of true beauty has been purposefully or otherwise blunted. So if some people wonder why they struggle with experiencing any clairvoyant awakening, a spike or spark or a slap or a moment, it may be because the capacity to behold and deal with beauty has not been cultivated, nurtured, and awakened in itself. Now, there's a good thing to be educated on, unquote. Page 143. Whoa, like you have to train yourself to like handle heightened states of beauty and stuff like sure. I actually think I'm uh, I'm pretty familiar with that actually oh, it's, it's like it's like appreciating like a popsicle I like popsicles who are you taking us with this one no but like okay so like you like a popsicle because it's cold because it's hot outside okay that's one thing but what if it's like an orange Julius popsicle with real pieces of like orange in it and 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 the cream is like of the highest quality cow that sounds delicious. And there's that training up for beauty. Yeah, that sounded like one gorgeous popsicle. Let me tell you. I'm hungry. Adds a whole new layer to that field trip to the art museum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a whole new level to that experience of running up to the ice cream truck and looking at that map of what you could get, that display. Oh. He gets it. And considering all your options, you know, it's a whole other level when you train up for beauty and you're looking at your popsicle selection. See, he knows exactly what I'm talking Ooh, about. Oh, give me one of those chocolate chip cookie ice cream um, sandwiches. Oh, come on, you got the Ninja this Turtle one. It had bubblegum. It's why we get that particular feeling when we see that particular painting or listen to that particular song. Yeah. That's that just a little bit of a take your breath away moment. Yeah. When you happen to spot that certain someone. Yeah. And that's an interesting point, the capacity to behold and deal with beauty. It's not like it's uh, automatic. Oh, a rocket ship, right? It's, uh, you guys still talking about uh, popsicles? It's okay. Anyway, moving on. There seems to be a, a being-sensing or a feel-see mechanism in the entire human species. And imagine those two words kind of like intermeshed and interposed on one another. Being sensing. You'll see. <laughs> but it's the, uh, um, the idea of picking up upon and being cognizant of those more subtle senses. Infants and super young kids sometimes, they're looking at things that aren't there. Cats, all the time. Just watching the spirits all around me. And I know I've mentioned it before, but it is a wonderful experience to cultivate within yourself. And you can do it almost anywhere. 
It's that, uh, it's that, you know, looking around yourself in 360 degrees. Can you look out your elbows? Can you sense out of your kneecaps? Adds a little weight to that idea of mom or dad who's driving, looking at the back of their head, you know, at what you're doing as kids. <laughs> hey, what's going on back there? I will turn this car around. Okay, sorry. Anyway, this feel-see, this sense-experience thing seems to be left in the dust when kids feel society compelling them to acclimatize to the culture, society, the world at large. If you can remember even an inkling of this experience, go into it, explore it. If you can do that, if you can engage with that on any level, you're already making great headway. Jean Piaget, or Jean Piaget. No, you said Piaget. it right. It's okay. Okay. Well, he himself discovered and proved that all children's experiential, cognitive, and intellectual development proceeds in genetically guided and determined stages and in the same sequential order, and that all children basically possess factors that are universal in our species. That is from page 151. Quote, Other researchers have discovered universal inner core awareness systems in every child. Unquote. From page 152. Basically, these symptoms are pre-baked in us to help us copy the behaviors and language around us. Adapt-a-babies. Adapt-a-babies. The 2024 model. And now here's an interesting personal account that Ingo Swan himself shares. It is his personal account of childhood sensing. Quote, In my own case as a child, I still vividly remember watching with great fascination, uh, the fluttering forms of color sparkling from people, animals, and objects, from my mother, father, grandmothers, and others, as well as from caterpillars, leaves, rocks, and so forth. Female breasts, even if yet undeveloped, mostly had white lights. Sometimes a red or green beam shot up out of my dad's head. Blooming flowers had spectacular fireworks-like illuminations, the most dramatic being blooming lilacs. Both my grandmothers kept gardens. I could pick out the dead seeds before planting since they had no lights. My family circle was tolerant when I described these things, but got nervous when I asked questions no one could answer. So I didn't get in any real trouble until I asked what the red light things were that sometimes stuck out through men's pants especially the beer drinkers down at my dad's pool hall and at the Elks Club. So my mother took me to the family doctor to find out if I was having eye trouble. I overheard him say that it, whatever it was, would go away soon. And it did go away. But not completely, especially after it dawned on me that the seeing was not considered normal. Thus, slowly, pervasively, restrained by my parents, peers, teachers, and finally by the unyielding social fabric itself. The child is settled into the system where it is supposed to see only certain things and not others. Pages 152 to 153. So, clairvoyance seeing can be boiled down to clairvoyance sensing, you know, without pictures or images. What an awesome personal account, first of all. And it's really interesting, while I've never seen those kinds of lights that he's describing specifically with my eyes open, when I close my eyes, what he's describing, I, I can see 
fairly vividly to the point of, you know, remembering pretty particularly what he's talking about, comparing it to that, saying, yeah, that seems similar. <laughs> what about you guys? Have you ever experienced that? When you close your eyes, you just, the lights are kind of like, you know? So it's kind of like that, except his eyes are open and they're like, wow, 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 out of people's nipples and dudes junk and out of the top of the people's heads. Uh, as we go on, he has uh, another experience. It's one of my favorite stories. Has some interesting implications, as they always do. <laughs> hey, are you making fun of me? No, 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 bro. It's just you were perfect for the moment. All right. Oh, I got you. But yeah, very cool. Appreciate the personal storytelling. Ah, and it looks like we're just going to skip right to it. In my notes, I was like, you know what? We're going right to it. So we got that personal account. And a little bit later in the book, Ingo brings up his then adult experience here. Again, one of my favorite stories. Happy we're here. It is the copper mirror training device of the Mahatmas. We're finally here. Oh, bro, you talk about this a lot. This is it's exciting. Like, you know, what we've all been waiting for this um, go around. So, yeah. yeah. And who are these Mahatmas? Who? The guys the, or, or the person or the, I don't know, the, the avatars. The ones that are actually, you know, giving them the information. The Theosophical Society. Yeah. That's a good question. And like, are they listening now? Oh, whoa. Are you there, Mahatmas? We're ready for your wisdom. It's like break it down into like, you know, bite-sized chunks. Cause this stuff is, <laughs> wow, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To begin, Ingo references Brian Ingalls' book, Trance, A Natural History of Altered States of the Mind, written in 1989, stating, quote, the direct implication copiously elucidated by Ingalls is that different states of consciousness each possess their special kinds of perceptual systems, something clearly established thousands of years ago by shamans worldwide, unquote. This from Ingo's book, page 159. Now, Daniel Douglas Holm Hello. carried with him a kind of energetic supercharge that he could activate and share. Hey, want some of this? One of the biggest, most noticeable effects was sexual arousal. Oh yeah, you're going to feel it in your pants. A direct vivification of the life-giving system within us all. Yeah. Ingo points out that if our sexual system can be activated and supercharged, so too then can our other systems, like other subtle sensing systems, like our psi systems, right? Yeah. He goes on to say that our psychic sensing systems aren't responding directly to energy. And this is interesting here in my notes, I, I uh, reference Andreas Zertis, who makes this point where all of our physical sensing systems are in effect all touch systems, eye sensors touching photons, Hearing is touching the vibrations in the air against our eardrum and the thrumming against the cochlear hairs in our ear. Smell is bumping up against the bits in the air that carry the smell information. And the same goes for taste when stuff hits the tongue. We are literally being bombarded. <laughs> so thank you, Andreas Zurdas. But our energy sensing systems do directly interact with energy. Ingo postulates that there might be some kind of energy body, uh -huh, which we've already talked about with Robert Bruce. 
Real quick aside, everybody, if you haven't seen Braveheart, what are you doing? But Robert Bruce, Braveheart, Robert the Bruce, very easy connections. Every time I see Robert Bruce or I talk about Robert Bruce, I think about Robert the Bruce, and I all of a sudden want to speak in a Scottish accent. So I'm not going to do that here. I might a little later. We'll see how it goes. But anyway, Robert Bruce talks about an energy body, which is what Ingo Swan was postulating about. Ingo says it would be distinct from the physical body, but intertwined with it. And that is the thing that's actually doing the sensing, the system that's actually doing the sensing. And so that, you know, again, one of the big reasons why I like to bring Robert Bruce into the conversation. Robert the Bruce! There, we did it. That's because he discusses the energy body in a really palatable way. A way we can all access and begin to engage with. And it's a way to understand this information a lot more quickly than I originally had the exposure to. That was a rough go, let me tell you. <laughs> so anyway, how cool is that? We're already having that in our discussions. Ingo Swan brings it up, and now he references a training device that can be found in the book The Mahatma Letters. Okay, here we go. Which was uh, brought to us by A.P. Sinnet. S-I-N-N-E-T. Now, the term Mahatman uh, is a compound Sanskrit word meaning great self. Whoa. Mahatmans are perfected men or great men. Oh, wow. Oh, jeez. They've lifted themselves up by their own bootstraps and uh, were not created pre-made. They, they walked this uh, long and arduous path by directing themselves ever forward and upward. That's how they did it. They did it themselves. Quote, The great selves are teachers because they're occupied in the noble duty of instructing mankind, of inspiring, elevating thoughts. They're also known as guardians of wisdom, forgotten or yet unknown. They can be called by other identifiers, sages, masters, elder brothers, seers, immortals, etc. Unquote. Page 161. Sinnott received a letter from the Mahatmas after inquiring how to strengthen and amplify his clairvoyant and self-awareness abilities. Also, uh, you can find these letters for free. I will link them. But uh, very interesting. Seems to be straightforward. Here we go. So from the letters, quote, and let's see, AP Senate, he'll, he'll be British. Why not? Quote, the methods used for developing lucidity in our cellars may be easily used by you. It's a little Orlando Bloomy. Let's go. Let's lean into it. Every temple has a dark room, the north wall, which is entirely covered with a sheet of mixed metals, chiefly copper, very highly polished, with the surface capable of reflecting in it things as well as being a mirror. The cello sits on an insulated stool, a three-legged bench placed in a flat-bottomed vessel of the thick glass. With the llama operator likewise, the two forming with the mirror wall, a triangle, A magnet with the North Pole up is suspended over the crown of the chalice head without touching it. The operator, having started the thing going, leaves the chalice alone, gazing on a wall, and after the third time, the guiding llama is no longer required. Unquote. Page 163. And so, uh, you know, real quick to summarize, because it's pretty straightforward here. You got a dude that's like, yo, Mahatmas, how do we like buff up our clairvoyant and self-awareness abilities? And he apparently got this real straightforward answer, which was 
hook yourself up in a dark room, right? Face the north wall. Cover that north wall that you're facing with a sheet of mixed metals, but chiefly copper. You know, lean into the copper. Very highly polished. You know, it's to the point where the surface can reflect things, you know, and be a mirror. Uh, the cella, which is you, which is us, which is, you know, the people doing this thing. The student, I believe. The acolyte. The cella is going to sit on an insulated stool, right? A, a wooden bench, three-legged is what he's suggesting here. Placed in a flat-bottomed vessel of thick glass. But, uh, you know, as long as it's gr uh, glass bricks is the idea that I'm thinking about when I... When I'm going to do this one, I, I really want to try this at some point. Even though if it is successful, as we will find out, it'll really disrupt <laughs> life. Wait, what? Uh, I, I need to find somebody who would be like able to like turn it off. Because apparently, well, you, we'll find You'll see how the story goes. Hold on. That sounds, uh, what? This is going to be radical. <laughs> life ain't nothing but an adventure. Anyway. Okay. So, you got the glass. You're on the insulator. Right, you, you got yourself on a stool, you know, insulated stool, thick glass on the bottom. So it's you, the wall, and then the uh, operator llama, your guide, just basically your, your minder, your watcher, you know, your, your safety buddy when you're doing shrooms. Uh, you're, you make this triangle. That's what just, they're just talking about, right? And that's kind of the case for the first three times. Oh, and you've got that magnet hanging over your head. And again, with the north pole up. Interesting how, like, that's uh, <laughs> specific, and that's a thing, and that it matters. It's suspended over the crown of the cello's head without touching it. Uh, and then, so after the third round of doing this, the uh, uh, guider, the minder, uh, the teacher, can uh, not be present, because apparently the acolyte, the student, the cello, will have uh, gotten himself going. That is pretty cool. So that's how you do it. So, whoa, interesting. That happened a while back during the Theosophical Society times. This clairvoyance assister was apparently put together in actuality, in, in physical reality, by Dr. Elmer Green and his wife, Alice, at the Menninger Foundation at, at Topeka, Kansas in the 1970s. Are you serious? Pretty sure it's Menninger. It might be Menninger. By manager. Oh my God! So this is wild. Some uh, they actually did this. This was a college-funded e experiment that took this Mahatma saying, "Here, use this. <laughs> if it's for real, it's this ascended master being like, you want to hook yourself up here.' Okay. And hey, this story goes it on. Just keeps getting better. So the Greens indicated after some significant initial success, and then setting up a more formal setting. Quote. It is clear from a prima facie analysis of those suggestions in the Mahatma letter that both magnetic and electrostatic fields are involved in the elicitation of the state of consciousness called lucidity. Lucidity, whatever its definition, may not develop to a significant extent in three copper wall sessions, but the fact that the teacher after the third time is no longer required implies sufficient progress by the student so that he can continue on his own. It is the elicitation and subsequent definition of lucidity with which we're basically concerned, whether it refers to becoming clearly conscious of normally unconscious psychological processes only in the personal consciousness domain described by Freud, or also has significance in the domain of transpersonal consciousness 
described by Young, unquote, page 164 to 165. Ingo went ahead and took part in their study. Yes! Uh, it's really cool how the whole thing unfolds in the book. Highly recommend to get this book. We'll say it many times. So what happened? So, Ingo signs up. He arrives, walks in, and they give him a tour. Hey, and so this is where the experiment will be happening. Welcome, Ingo, right this way. Ingo walks in, and the wall had become a room covered in copper from floor to ceiling. It's a copper room, like a music video, with a 14 Gauss magnet suspended in the air north pole up. The goal for the experiment running was to psychically affect electrostatic behavior, which was of minimal success. But by day three, something else started happening. Ingo had to sit still and try not to shift or even blink for 40-minute sessions due to the wires hooked up to monitor his brainwaves. All he could do was stare at his foggy reflection in the copper wall. By day three in the morning session, the fifth session, he started reviewing in his mind all sorts of stuff. There was no deliberate effort or forced thought but it seemed like strips of movie film were being run, first singularly and at pretty fast speeds and then multiple reels at once. Wondering about the fast reel images only seemed to make them move faster. Then they turned into metallic blue balls, flying and hovering around the room and then disappeared altogether. And I'll just throw this out there right now, because we're on this journey together. While I was writing this down, and also uh, all of that was page, page 168. While I was writing this information and compiling it together, apparently, in my notes is what I wrote down, uh, a little bug fell and landed and then walked and pointed at these words in sequence. And the words were, See the copper sheets. <laughs> I think that's a fun little bit of synchronicity. Have I done that yet? No. Am I going to? At some point. Yes. <laughs> All right, back to Ingo's experience. So as those blue balls like disappeared, he noticed that the copper sheets had changed and a transparent but some kind of almost like tangibly thick dark orange mist or foam had appeared. This fog, this mist, seemed to be composed of particles. The orange mist had blotted out his foggy reflection in the copper. He turned his head to look at the other walls, and they too had become covered in this mist. There were small waves going through it, and the walls were becoming more luminous and orange. All of a sudden, he noticed his dick getting hard. An erection had come out of nowhere. His hands and feet started itching, but because of the setup, he couldn't do anything about it. And after about 10 minutes, he looked down at his hand and he could, according to him, very clearly see the bones right through his skin, more than in a black and white x-ray way. After that, I don't know how long I would be able to maintain an erection. That would be a little bit shocking. 
Now, during his afternoon session, that was his morning session, during his afternoon session, he could see the north end of the magnet had a blue glow and the south had a pink glow. He was able to call consistently whether the North Pole side was up or down and replaced with an empty box control. The magnet was always covered in a box. He had mentioned that he liked the magnet north side up and the researchers had already accumulated information about how men performed better with the north side up and women with the south side up. Fascinating. That night in his hotel room, the orange glow continued, as did the movie reels, and he remembered his childhood visions of glowing lights around things and people. The reels would turn into blue balls and vanish. The next session took 20 minutes to induce the orange misty glow. He could see bones and now blood vessels and arteries. The vessels were dark blue and the arteries were a pinkish red. It was also like a blue-green network infused in both hands and ran up the arms. The network was quote-unquote exquisite and complex, but he didn't know what he was looking at. The orange mist then changed to a dark yellow and then fluctuated with uh, a number of colors, like being in the middle of a slowly undulating rainbow or now we could say LED light setup. And it only gets crazier from here. You gotta read this book, Psychic Sexuality, IngoSwan.com. Basically, and Ingo had been studying psychic ability for some time at this point, while clairvoyance was mainly a mental experience, this lucidity thing that was happening was happening within his physical senses. He was seeing all this stuff. He began to see the points on the body associated with acupuncture points, meridians, complete with blue and pink halves, which were the magnetic poles of those meridians, and a greenish vortex like a whirl. He was in such a state of ecstasy seeing all this that he thought he just might have a sexual release, though he didn't, but he thought he might. I think we've all been there at one point in our lives, just ho oh, oh, hum, mm-hmm. <laughs> The descriptions Ingo gives in this book remind me of the scenes where Clark slash Superman is becoming familiar with his x-ray vision and it's hitting him all at once, all the levels of the world, like when he's like, oh, Clark, are you okay? Clark, what's going on? <laughs> he stumbles out of the classroom. Oh, my powers. I'm just, uh, I'm Superman, but I don't, uh, it's new to me. Uh. Apparently, on top of the seven more well-known major chakras, which you all, you know, we, we've seen the posters, there are an extra three. And beyond the three, there are many others that are lesser known but still important that are situated in the pelvis. And they are associated with kundalini energy and the cosmic consciousness lying latent within each human organism. This is the link between sexual energy and formats of higher consciousness. But it also seems that according to those that are aware of all the chakras and for lack of a better term, in the know, you have to activate all the chakras to obtain higher consciousness, quote unquote. And this includes the three avoided ones pertaining to the and activated through the sexual awareness activity. Ingo says that sure, you can obtain higher intelligence, quote unquote, by working with the seven most known chakras, but higher consciousness as distinct from mere higher intelligence is another matter. 
Higher consciousness, it is said, is achieved only via some kind of kundalini awakening. And that's from page 178. And all right, folks, I think we'll leave this here today. Yeah, you had it here, folks. You had it here first. Gonna... Right, all right, all right. What? I can't. I mean, I thought you were giving me the... No, just hold. Just let me just... All right. All right. It's fine. That's fine. I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm ready. I understand that. I know. I can see that. You are ready. I'm ready. Okay. Let me just, I'll give you the signal. I thought you were... I, I will give it. You will see it when I give it. I will, you'll, you'll know. Okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So, we're going to leave it here. <laughs> Thanks for hanging. I love this information. I love talking about it with you in the weird way that I like talking about it. It's weird. Yeah, but it's cool. I think it's yeah, funny. Like yeah. it. Well, thanks for hanging. It's wonderful to have you all here. May you be ever more empowered individually. And may our awareness gently stretch and grow. Catch you on the next one. All right, I almost forgot. Go ahead, guy. Let's conclude another episode of Hangin' with Mr. Douglas. Stay tuned for the continuation of our exploration into psychic sexuality and all that it has to offer. Oh, that was pretty good, right? That was good. On the fly, but you know. No, no, that was good. That was okay. That was, you know, yeah. We'll get, we'll work on it. Hey, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's come have some more root beer. Come on. <laughs>